0: So welcome to 20 and 20 co working edition, this is where we ask 20 questions in 20 ish minutes, we'll probably go about 30 minutes. Um, the intention is to leave people feeling inspired, informed and uplifted. I'm your host Lisa Skyhane. Uh, in this particular edition of 20 and 20 and during the month of June, I'm connecting with industry experts, operators, vendors, and of course, most importantly, our co working members who help us to pay the bills. And we're learning how together we will weather this storm. So. You know, co-working certainly uh, has been around as a defined term for over a decade now. Executive suites, though, and shared office spaces, so to speak, have been around 30, 40 years. Our industry, like many industries, has really been impacted. Um, and and you know, I believe the co-working will, of course, survive and thrive, which you and I talked about here pre-chat a bit, Felicia, Um, And it's just a question of of timing, right, and what it's going to take to get through the next six to 18 months or a couple of years. So today's guest, welcome, Felicia Stingone. Hello. Hello. Um, You are the co-founder and brand strategist of Chief Marketing Partners, which was launched in 2015. And you're also the co-founder and leadership team member, which I know is um, very near and dear to you, of Fly Female Founders, which is a community of women supporting women in building successful businesses together, which, of course, I say, woo to that. Yes. And right on cue, Sveta just joined us, right? Sveta. Yes, yay. Um, So a couple of quick things about you. You know, I've described you as a marketing and PR guru. Um, You studied communications at Boston University. You did uh, public relations management with Barneys. You were the director of marketing and business development with the 92nd Street Y. Of course, near and dear to my heart, you worked with Danny Meyer at Union Square um, Hospitality Group as a senior managing director of brand and marketing. Um, I, I look back on my experience working with Union Square Cafe and, and that hospitality group is very positive, a huge learning opportunity. Um, so I'm so excited to start tapping into to your knowledge here and, and share it with everyone that's joined I'm us today. I'm so excited
1: and, to be here with you. Thank you so much.
0: Yes. So first question, you know, as, a, as myself, my defined marketing and PR guru, what would you say are the key factors that go into building a stellar brand?
1: It's a really interesting uh, question. I'm going to try to answer it quickly. A brand is is actually a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, the word brand um, has come to mean so many things to so many people. It, it can be a logo or your website, or I mean, those are just all um, manifestations of your brand, like visual and verbal manifestations of your brand. But what your brand really is is a promise that you make to your end user, your consumer, your client. And it's mm-hmm. the system you build around delivering that promise. And it's the consistency um, in delivering that promise over time, which then helps build brand equity. Um, what a brand really does is it, it really starts at the core um, with your customer mm-hmm. because the only reason you exist is to um, serve your marketplace, serve your customer. And then after that, the way you do that has a lot to do with what your promise is. And then from there, we go into values. What is it? And then you start to shape that experience. So, okay, so now what does that feel like? And that's based on values. So brands take time to develop. Um, Branding and being a brand are two different things. And then marketing is a whole nother piece, Mm. and that is, taking your message, taking your product, taking your system um, to market and understanding better and better over time who your customer is, what they want, uh, how the marketplace is changing, how to change your product. But it's really starts with a promise, a handshake with the market that you're serving to say, we're here, we promise this and we will do it better and meet certain either a problem or an opportunity um, so I hope that's, I hope
0: A 100%. Nice. <laughs> well, I heard so many things in there. And one of the things that I heard was about systematizing um, um, a message or, or a, a commitment a cons- and a consistency of a delivered message and mission, if you will. And I know that on your LinkedIn, you say you, you're operationalizing, yes. right, which I, I you yes. don't see that word very often, but you're no. operationalizing brand strategy. Is that yeah. right? So that's a really, I I love that you,
1: I I really love that you asked that question because people think Mm -hmm. the word operationalizes jargon, but I I really, and again, because you worked with Danny and you've been in the hospitality industry, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it really really became more clear to me that what a brand does is it guides every single uh, part of your company, right? It guides your operations. So basically even things you decide about your supply chain or your manufacturing practices, It guides your um, employee relations, right? Mm -hmm. So your HR, your culture, your benefits. And then it also guides, again, how you go to market, how you sell, how you price. It's all based around a promise and then the values built around that promise. And it makes decision-making so easy. I mean, it, it really aligns everyone in the company. And also I think what it does that is undervalued is it helps everyone in the organization down to the most junior, most entry level person Mm -hmm. understand why, where their job fits in um, to to the north star, to the larger purpose of the company.
0: Right, and therefore why, why they're doing what they're doing as part of their job description, so to speak, exactly. and deliver, delivering the way that they're delivering. So exactly. um, right now, Felicia, social media, holy moly overload, you know, w- w- information right now. We have so much access to information. How on earth would you say that we make our marketing stand out?
1: Yeah. Here's, I think what's really important is to understand each channel serves its audience differently. Yeah. And I think that that's very, it's very subtle. I, you know, this idea of posting something in three places exactly the same. I mean, some of this I learned from Sweta. So if you're there, Sweta, some mm. of it I learned from making a lot of mistakes. Some of mm. it I learned from really smart people that I've worked with mm. over the years. But understanding that Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Uh, TikTok, which I'm now obsessed with, and it's actually, I may have to go into rehab. Um, If you went there,
0: oh no, that means I need to go there too. Shoot, I haven't gone there yet.
1: It's crazy. I I actually get my kids to interpret things for me. I'm like, okay, was that actually funny? Am I I supposed to be laughing now? Because that seemed really scary to me. Um, (laughs) As long as they don't call me Karen, I'm good. Oh my God. So that was the first that's the first important thing to know yep. and then the second thing to know is um, are you offering value in your content now mm-hmm. this is different online uh, or advertising you know click-through advertising Let, let's just talk about I'm not gonna talk about advertising right now because the world of paid media is not really my world mm-hmm. I'm more in the communications and brand development realm. Got it. but um, if you want to think about Think about the fact that some people are following Twitter, some people are following Twitter and Instagram, some people are following Instagram and Facebook, and there's plenty of data out there to go through. Mm-hmm. But if you, you need, again, you have to know your audience and right. your customer, because sometimes your audience and your customer aren't, sometimes your communication is going maybe out to the marketplace, right? Um, sure. Or out to the supply chain. Um, and other times it's going directly to the customer. So it's also important to know who you're talking to and what what what's value to them. What value can you provide?
0: Got it. So um, is there any particular like one biggest or can I'm, I'm sure there are several or many, but in marketing and PR, what's a the biggest mistake that you see companies make?
1: OK, I see so many mistakes. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: as I said to you, I don't, want, I don't want to call anyone out. But I am going to call this out. And yeah. uh, I, I work with this incredible woman, Leslie Short, who's a diversity and inclusion.
0: Oh, I know consultant. Leslie. She moderated a panel on, right. on diversity
1: and inclusion that I was on. Right. And I remember is. saying on Instagram, Woo, that how do you know each other? She she's amazing. And so basically, <laughs> I've been, you know, she was going to be on this call, but she's on another call. I, I've, been, I've been schooled. By her on diversity and inclusion, and I can tell you that. And this has been, you know, for a while. I can tell you that um, the thing that's most disappointing right now is that companies who have no real expertise or deep knowledge of diversity inclusion programming or messaging mm-hmm. are winging it. You know, mm-hmm. I I I can't say that they're all their hearts are all in the right place. Some of them are just reacting mm-hmm. and putting out statements that are. Some of them are offensive, or some of them are so packaged, like it's literally like they went online and said, give me a diversity and inclusion template. And many of them are um, not actionable. And if you talk to the people in the company, you don't even have to dig deep. You just scratch the surface. And I think that that does more harm than good, because Mm -hmm. that turns the commitment to diversity and inclusion into almost like a compliance box that you have to check as opposed to a real systematic change within the company.
0: Well, so, so what I'm hearing from you also is, is don't, d- don't be afraid per se. I know a lot of people, there's a lot of fear on a lot of different levels right now, but what? afraid, afraid of saying the wrong thing, afraid of saying too much. And so what I'm hearing though, is almost as the, as the, the marketing guru, right? Cause I'm going to keep going back to that. Well, that I'm going I'm to give you a crown that says marketing guru. Um, me as, a goddess. Mar- <laughs> as the marketing goddess, exactly. Um, you're saying don't, put out a message that you can't back up is ultimately what you're saying, right? And that, that you're not already. That
1: you don't understand.
0: Or, yeah, or that you're not already in action about. And uh, yes, OK, that you don't understand. Well, so, and, that, and that's basic. Yeah, yeah that because feels basic. You know, there's
1: such a big difference between diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're two completely different issues. And I think um, people are afraid to not make a comment that it's gonna reflect poorly on them, but they're not always making thoughtful comments. And they're also doing, I mean, I know we've read all about this, but they're going to like the three black people in their organization and creating diversity inclusion committees, Mm -hmm. and then putting out a diversity inclusion statement. Um, I'm really just, I won't name the companies, but there are companies that I love (laughs) who I'm very disappointed in and I have been for years because while I love their leadership, they just don't make an effort to be part of the solution to the systematic racism within certain industries, mm. and yet they have diversity and inclusion statements, and it just feels like I don't even understand. Like
0: like a miss doesn't feel like there's a connection or an authenticity. I would imagine there, and that's that's the key word you're looking for there. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I mean, on that topic of diversity and inclusion, you know, when, again, we were talking about this a little bit pre-chat. So, how does diversity and inclusion impact an organization that designed itself as a community versus how it's impacting corporations right now? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's such an interesting, uh, it's such an interesting topic because our group, Fly Female Founders, is a community, a self-led community, mm-hmm. and when everything happened, we immediately wanted to make a statement. And then we thought about, we thought, let's wait, let's listen, let's see, let's learn. And it wasn't because we were afraid. It was because we just didn't think we were going to bring anything meaningful to the table yet. Mm -hmm. We felt that we could bring meaning by facilitating conversation rather than making a statement. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, our community is very diverse, but are we as inclusive as we can be? Are we, are, are we listening to enough voices, uh, different voices in the community? Are we weaving those voices into the way we approach our programming? I mean, I would say we have certainly tried, but maybe not, maybe not as intentionally as we could. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we realized is in order for us to represent more populations, we need to reach out to more organizations. So mm-hmm. if we're talking to the same 1,500 women, maybe 30 to 80 at a time, we're just keeping rotating the same speakers. Then it becomes like an echo chamber, right? Mm. More like a mutual admiration society. And what mm. we really wanna do is bring new voices and new faces to the table. Yeah. Um, so we need to reach out to more for us, LGBTQ. We need to reach out to more people who identify as women. Yep. Uh, we need to reach out to more um, uh, people with disabilities as yep. well as our black and brown sisters um i think uh black entrepreneurs black female entrepreneurs is the largest growing group of entrepreneurs in the country 100% i've read yeah. that
0: statistic too they're making yes.
1: up i think something like 91% of new businesses last year were yeah. female black female entrepreneurs
0: yeah it's huge the number is huge yeah, yeah. so it's certainly a group of people that we we want to be listening to and including absolutely. yes in the conversations and and absolutely um can you tell us about one of your favorite marketing or, or branding success stories? I mean, I'm sure you have many over the last two decades, right? I Jesus.
1: absolutely loved, um, albeit it was a tumultuous time, loved working with the 92nd Street Y. Mm. Because to me, that is an authentic brand. Mm. It, it was just a brand. It's an institution, right? So then for anyone
0: who doesn't know the 92nd oh, Street Y, what you. what is it? Yeah.
1: 92nd Street Y is a cultural and community center. And Mm -hmm. and I've always been interested in communities and how they um, work to support, inform, and connect people, right? Mm -hmm. And the 92nd Street Y is actually um, not a YMCA, but um, a YMHA. So it's really a JCC, a Jewish community center, right, um, with global reach and an amazing group of people who run it. And now that they're able to digitize their programming, They have an incredible global reach, you know. Whereas when we worked there, they could still only really reach the 900 people that could fill um, the auditorium. Right. They had it. They
0: have incredible programming, though. Yeah, they have
1: a gym. They have one of the best um, dance performance and um, uh, educational institutes. 75 years. They've been supporting modern Mm. dance. Alvin Ailey started there almost they makes have, me a little
0: sad, though, to think about this time of COVID and how what the ramp-up time frame yeah. is going to be for them. I remember for sure. we,
1: had, we, we were dealing with MERS when I was there. Mm. Anyway, that was a great experience. And then, of course, working for Danny and helping yeah. to kind of reverse engineer a parent brand you know, for USHG was yeah. such an honor and such a fun project.
0: When you say reverse engineer a parent brand, how do you mean?
1: I think USHG, the company, always mm-hmm. existed. Mm -hmm. But it was mostly like, you know, Danny Meyers restaurants, Danny Meyers brand, Danny Meyers this, Danny Meyers that. And meanwhile, there's a deep bench of talent, an incredible organization behind Danny. And he was like, how do I, how do I, as we go to raise money, as we go to, you know, uh, expand Shake Shack, how do we make sure investors and the marketplace understands not, obviously people in the industry knew what USHG was. How do we turn USHG? How do we build a relationship there? So it would yep. be like knowing, I might get this wrong, it would be like knowing Crest, but not knowing P&G.
0: OK, yeah, right. yeah.
1: So yeah. basically, we had to create like the P&G for the Crest. That would be like Gramercy Tavern and USHG. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, so it was really more the expression part. Um, the values, obviously, he had. Again, oh, I yeah. think intuitively and organically, Danny is brand. He understands brand, even though he doesn't like to call it that. And as he tells me, or used to tell me, he doesn't believe in marketing. But
0: OK. Oh, my gosh. Danny would say he doesn't believe in marketing? Yeah. But but every time he got PR or press, that's marketing to some extent. I know it's not proactive outreach. But
1: I think what he means by marketing is he means mm-hmm. more
0: reaching out to right, say being proactive.
1: Else, right, third party credibility. I don't think yeah. he's very into self-promotion. I think that oh, everyone amazing. in the restaurant industry or many people, not fast casual, but even think about Shake Shack, no advertising. Yeah. No, it's true. It. They, it's it's true. their actions and their experience. So that's, wow. that you lead with the experience, you lead with the food, you lead with the design. Remember we were talking about this, you lead with the experience. If you do that, yeah. you turn every single guest into you know, a walking billboard.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah I know I had the good luck of being able to interview him back in April and uh you know just all i and I've had little snippets of time with him since I left his business twenty years ago, almost you know working at Union Square cafe for three years but I often say... You know, someone just called me and said we just finished Guy Raz's "How I Built This" with Danny Meyer, and we wanted to call you to see what was it like working with him. And and I started talking a little bit, and they said, "Oh my gosh, I feel like we're still in the episode. This is so cool to learn about him because he truly has the Midas touch. And and 20 years later, I if I see him out in the city, he remembers me by name, and he is the king of 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 then finding other people who are inherently those 51%ers who create a feeling and inherently care about other people so that, gosh, I mean, in the the most extraordinary way, they can carry forth the brand vision and and mission and values. Right? Yeah.
1: It's interesting. Hmm. He's a very intense and thoughtful person who Hmm. comes off um, as, and he is very gentle and very much makes other people feel important and seen and heard. And he's very affable and kind, but extremely Serious, extremely thoughtful, very intense.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you you have to be to create what he's created, also, right? Into some regard. So, uh, okay, so let's talk. This is the co-working edition. So let's talk co-working yeah. here for a few minutes, right? So you were the CMO for Grind. Grind uh, was a co-working space, and traditional by by definition, they had mostly large open space where people were working together. There were five locations, I think, in New York City, one in Chicago at one point, and it has since consolidated and no longer exists as a brand. Right. But 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 it transformed into something else, which we'll talk about here too. So you were in the CMO for Grind um, here in New York. What do you think the coworking industry has, it, has in store for the, at the next six to 18 months?
1: OK. First of all, I just have to say how special Grind was yeah. and how it launched so many critical personal and business relationships for all of us that were a part of it. Uh, the people who started and owned Grind were, I mean, spectacular. Yeah, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I saw David, David,
0: right, or Benjamin, <laughs> um, right.
1: It was it was really the genesis of fly female founders who were once mm-hmm. grind female founders. Um, and you know maybe we can talk about that. Maybe we don't have time. But the point is, it was a true community, and yeah. it was also, I can't explain it. People went in there, and um, it really did become a third place. I mean, I know that's like an overstated term. But it really did become home for so many of us, and it was the hardest job, because, as, as you know, competing for co-working members is—it's really tough, especially yep. when you're up against really deep-funded organizations yep. who were not, you know, bootstrapping or who were not, you know, going for uh, who went for really big money. I mean, we grew up side by side with—we um, work. Thank you. I, almost, you guys, I can't you, even say the name. You guys and, launched um, at the
0: same time, 2010. Yes. And listen, I, I was there opening the our, first two locations at WeWork, our, and wh- whoever was whoever, someone from Grind, I think, was that one of the gatherings we had at WeWork for, to oh, bring I'm operators sure. together.
1: Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. Because, I mean, it wasn't, in a weird way, we weren't competitive. We all felt, hey, the better WeWork does, the better we all do. Like, it wasn't competitive that way. When I say compete right. for members, I don't mean it quite that way. But it was very, like, you know, I felt like I was in Glengarry, Glen Ross. You know, like the like, who's got the leads? Do we have the good leads? Where are the leads? It was very, it was right. like, are we converting the leads now? Obviously, I kind of felt like I was in real estate. I mean, we talked about this. It really, it really was almost like marketing luxury, you know, apartments. I mean, yeah, it, it, it really felt more like that, but you felt so good about what you were marketing because you understood that once you converted that lead, that it became, it it, it was just a very rewarding job. Very, very, very tough. And you know, a lot of digital marketing, as everyone knows, there's no perfect formula for it. You can dump a lot of money and yeah, you can test, but if you don't have enough money to do the AB testing and to really perfect the message and the targeting, and you've got to be, Bringing in leads and converting leads, um, it could take a year to get a campaign up. I mean, not a campaign, but to get to the winning campaign. Sure. Um, And so, what's so
0: what's the future of coworking? Do you think here in the next year ahead?
1: I I am maybe wildly optimistic, but Mm. I do think there's going to be a critical place for coworking. I don't know that it's going to be what we thought it was going to be in the beginning. Like it's going to change everything, you know. But I think there is actually now a really important place in the ecosystem because, and you and I talked about this, and I know that um, somebody else has already talked about this, someone much smarter than me, but I do think that, that we are working from maybe four different places now, right? We're working from home. Right. Um, we do occasionally have to go to an office or the headquarters, maybe never, but we do have to connect with it. There will be satellite offices Yep. which you know, could very likely be in a co-working space. And then many of us cannot work from home in the traditional sense, either because our spaces are small or because our children are at home or because we're taking care of a disabled parent or our husband is working. I mean, we don't all have the luxury of having a home office. Yep. So there are, and, and it's lonely. It can be very lonely and very depressing. <laughs> As we all know now <laughs> yeah. so there will be a need to check in for community and uh, a quiet space for oneself the question will be what will that look like what what slice of the pie will co-working get yeah. how will landlords there's so many moving parts and pieces um, yeah. that it's going to be a constant innovation constant um it's almost like, you know, it's almost like the need to respond is going to be.
0: S- Sveta just wrote, she misses She misses her morning chai at uh, at primary. Sorry to interrupt. Oh. Wait, the need, I know, I miss-, I miss you too, Sveta. Yeah, the need to respond, you were starting to say is.
1: Oh, it's going to be hard for, for folks because like you and I were talking about, cap. you know, when you change a space, capital investment is required.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. You
1: know, again, it comes. Down That's what's
0: to- tough. It's what's tough about the co-working, but about anything in real real estate is a capital intensive uh, business, and it's why Industrious, you know, who's on the the coattails of WeWork in terms of really building a brand, certainly here in the country. With now 100 locations, the first 50 locations were traditional leases, landlord-tenant relationship established, but the last 50 of the management deals, because it dramatically reduces the capital-intensive nature of the business. So We're all moving in that direction. Yeah. And you guys, by the way, Grind was way ahead of the curve in that sense, because Grind did establish the management deals early on, right? Yeah, before 2015. So, okay, a couple of questions. So, Fly Female Founders. Um. Can you tell us though about this? Is obviously something so near and dear to your heart. What tell us in a nutshell? What's the mission and and vision, right, of fly fly female founders? Okay. So. First one you do a lot here? right now you're doing virtual events, but you did a lot of awesome oh, yeah. a lot in-person of events at primary and other luminary right. and other places around the city. Yeah.
1: So we are a, uh, we are a community. We are, mm-hmm. we are in the process of becoming um, we have a 501 C3 from the IRS. We're waiting to be um, state and citywide approved as a uh, nonprofit. The reason profit as we talked about is we are a community-led community led community. So mm-hmm. we have five women who have uh, been amongst the founders, original, the OG crew. And mm-hmm. we, um, we lead it together. None of us are paid. Um, and we rely very much on our community to be a part of our programming. Um, we exist to um, educate, connect, and um, inspire female entrepreneurs. And we're dealing with entrepreneurs in a, a much smaller um, I won't say smaller, but most female entrepreneurs in America right now are making about—I actually looked it up. About three hundred eighty-five thousand dollars.
0: And they're wow, annual revenue? You're saying? Yeah. Wow. And yet. So these are not big, not big businesses.
1: No, but they're but they are employing people, and um, you know, I think what's really important is that resources aren't necessarily being aimed at them. I will say Mm -hmm. Salesforce is working on that. I will say um, there's a lot of organizations that are not just starting Shopify. Um, You know, I think that what we're trying to do is put a focus on these businesses because they're also, by the way, growing at five, they're growing 5%, which is twice the rate of the average business in the United
0: States. Yeah, well, you just said Black women-owned businesses are... They're the, well, like eight, accounting for 80 plus yeah. percent of all of the new businesses and coming into the, the market. Exactly. Amazing.
1: And I think that we have to remember that many of us became entrepreneurs reluctantly. So <laughs> there are many women who have, have approached it like right out of school or a few years out of the corporate world or even 30 years out of the corporate world. Right. And this yep. is what they want to do. There are other women who find themselves for whatever reason unemployable. Maybe they're of a certain age. Maybe Mm -hmm. they are in a smaller community that there aren't as many jobs. Maybe Mm -hmm. they were affected in 2008. Maybe they were affected by coronavirus. So Mm -hmm. you have women who are very ingenious. I call them reluctant. It's not necessarily that they're reluctant, but they didn't set out to be entrepreneurs. They didn't set out to be small business owners. But now Acc- accidental, accidental owners, right. Yeah. Right, right. Yep. You know, and now they are. And guess what? They didn't go to business school, but they're smart as heck and they're working hard. And yeah. we want to help provide the classes and the training to and the resources and the other women's mentor to get them to the next level. And we so work awesome. with all the other women's groups in our ecosystem. We don't compete. That's really important too. Because we're mm. not looking for mm. We're not looking we're looking for solutions
0: yeah you know? lean into lean into each other exactly bring solutions you must right. have hundred hundreds of attendees at this point i mean you've done so many events so do you yeah. have formal members
1: yeah not yet we haven't really set that up yet i mean oh, we call but ourselves, that's coming we call ourselves the turtles because we've been at this since uh 2015 thanks to grind as i said we started as a small community group that the marketing uh, team put together Actually, yep. it was the founder of Benjamin Diet who came up with the idea. And yeah. I just need to give him credit. So he's one of our advisors. We um, started it. It's just a community within a co-working space. And it was like mm-hmm. a brown bag lunch thing. And it just kept going. And more and more women came. Now our mm. events can get up to 80 women.
0: I know. We couldn't even fit all of, the, all of in you in your, our in biggest your conference, conference room. I know. Jeez.
1: And um, unfortunately, and I don't know why, uh, when Nomad – when uh, when uh, Grind changed hands to Nomad, they no longer wanted to support the community. Mm. And you know, that's their prerogative.
0: So maybe it was a blessing. You came to primary, you found Luminary, which by the way, right, you know, Luminary is a female female founded, right? Female uh, bound community, right? How wonderful.
1: Yeah, that's why we called ourselves Fly, because we flew around from co-working. We were so welcomed and so embraced by all of these co-working spaces that were so good to us, serendipity um, great. Wonderful. So that's our, you know, that's what we're doing.
0: Awesome. And so how often are your virtual events right now? That you're hosting? Our virtual
1: events are about twice a month. Um, okay. We used to have once a month. Uh, they usually have anywhere between 30 and 90 women, depending on the topic. They're Amazing. about $15 a session. Cool. And we also do things, uh, something called the on the fly workshops which are really deep dives. So like maybe a two hours on SEO or two hours on
0: content, Ooh. two hours so on pivoting your business. Go to flyfemalefounders.com though. .org. Everything's listed there. Dot org. Thank you. Flyfemalefounders.org. Okay. To learn more. Um, you no, know, here's another question. See, I told you we'd be able to talk for an hour and a half if we wanted it to It'd be hard to keep it in 30 minutes. Um, what, what, uh, the question I have for you, because you and I both are impassioned, obviously about being a female business owner. By the way, congratulations to Emily, who uh, is getting a little push to grow her business as a result of coronavirus sooner than you expected. And, and, and wonderful, maybe that's a blessing in disguise, right? That, that, that this is the push you needed and we wish you the best of luck, of course, with that. Um, you have now had interaction with so many women, business owners over the last five years And I was saying to you, what's the right question to ask you? But that was what I ended up saying is maybe the right question to ask you is what's the right question to ask you about (laughs) women in business? And and what do we need to know right now? Because I know we talked about fundraising is incredibly difficult, um, which you know I've gone through myself. What's the right question to ask you about women in business?
1: I think the right question to ask is, well, let's put it to say, what have I learned? Right. Yeah. And that's the question. What have sure. I learned over the past few years focusing on women in business? First yep. of all, supporting women in business is not about not supporting men in business. Okay. So this is not this is not yeah. the, uh, the the men in business haters club. Right. We we have many of our mentors, our our partners, our coworkers. So it's more about the fact that we are specifically offering women the support and services that men just have been used to getting. Um, And sometimes it feels like if you haven't gone to business school, because I know you have a cohort coming out of business school, it's a little different, okay? Um, Because we have business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, an entrepreneur is different than a small business owner, you know, Mm -hmm. who's different from a solopreneur, who's different from a side gigger. So let's talk about this diversity and inclusion. You could have a room full of white women business owners, and they might have nothing in common other than being white and being business owners. Same goes for black women, same goes for South Asian women or yeah. Asian women. You know. The thing that we have in common is our experience as females. But in our group, we're all in different industries, right? We have different backgrounds, different points of view, different supply chains, you know? So just because we're women doesn't mean we all agree with each other, doesn't mean that, you know, we're not homogenous. And mm. that's why I, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, you know, that's why we as a community have to be careful that we're not tilting our conversation to one industry mm. or, you know, one special group. We have to keep the conversation constantly rotating and making sure we're bringing fresh perspectives to represent. So what I've learned is that the biggest issue is feeling a little bit behind the eight ball. Right? Yeah. There are a few fierce, <laughs> badass women out there who like, you know, like, I'm going to say you're one of them forging into the world. I put on,
0: I put on my biggest shoulder pads possible so I can bear all <laughs> the weight of the world today. Yeah. All, yeah. Any women need some tips? Wear big shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's
1: all about being brave. You know, whatever that takes, whether it's like, you know, doing your, your, your uh, Body language exercise in the morning. No, I'm only kidding. Yeah, yeah seriously. All-
0: standing standing in the gesture of joy, which is also yeah. known as a power pose, yes. right? Try to try to feel like shit while you're standing like yes. this. It's not possible. My husband. Talk, my husband you know? Oof, now, I love you. Look at um, that. I love it.
1: But I think the thing that, you know, we're not all the same just because we're women. And you know, I think sometimes we all forget that. Even women. Mm. You know, mm. you know yeah. we all forget that we need to understand each other's experiences. The commonalities are there. For example, we talked about you know raising money is just one of the hardest thing for women. And yeah. we all have to really focus on that. It's yep. not that we should only be getting money from women investors. I mean, just, I don't get it. And also, if you look at the success rate, I don't, I'm not armed with that statistic, but if yep. you look at the success rate of uh, businesses making over a million dollars that are led by women and the growth yep. rate, if there's proof. I, yeah. if, if There's just proof. Um, but what I would say is, um, last point, um, is I think that one of the things we, we try to help each other do is talk about uncomfortable things. Yeah. So we did have one panel, which was working in, in a male-dominated industry. So we had women from construction, food services, food services and safety, um, architecture, investment. And everyone said that they had to work twice as hard to earn the trust, respect and the credibility. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm unfortunately not, uh, not surprised to hear that. Um, I have, um, I have two last questions. So I have one quick one quick question, and then one's going to be a fast answer, pre precursor to the fast answers of the lightning round. Um, you're writing a book right now about the ongoing love and challenges that are inherent in the close relationship that you have with your youngest brother who was diagnosed with pediatric bipolar disorder. You haven't revealed that really to many people. Uh, Um, And so now more people, now talk about another layer of accountability, right, to get get the book done.
1: it's, It's great. I don't know how many people are on this call, but those who know me can then ask me and say, what? Yeah, yeah, so my brother yeah, my brother is in a really good place right now. And I think it's a great time for us to collaborate on this book. And I want all the money to go, all the money, as we know in publishing. I want to yes. you know the few hundred right. dollars. Um, right. I'm working with an amazing uh, writer, uh, writing coach. And uh, her name is uh, Ruthie Ackerman, if any of if you know her. She was at mm. Forbes. She is um, an amazing, amazing writer. So she's helping me through the process but this is something I've wanted to do for decades. I'm finally doing it.
0: Awesome. Good luck. Good luck, girlfriend. It's going to happen. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you marketing that book. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the best thing that happened to you this year?
1: Fly Female Founders being approved as a 501c3. Yeah. And
0: awesome.
1: quickly pivoting to online events and getting more um, participants than ever before it like it really just lifted us it lifted me yeah. it lifted all of us so yeah and solidified
0: what an awesome thing you've created okay here now we're going into our lightning okay. round 10 10 quick questions you ready felicia okay here we go number one rename the coronavirus uh coronavision <laughs> yeah they're giving us 2020 vision what's the best advice you've ever gotten
1: love conquers fear
0: Mm. Oh, I love that one. Where are you turning for inspiration right now? Not related to you. Could be a uh, book or a thing too. Uh,
1: Maria Popova. Do you, do you read her newsletter? No. Um, uh, it's called uh, Brain Pickings. Mm, Is brain it picking. called Brain Pickings, Phil? Brain Pickings. Uh, awesome. A- a- amazing.
0: And big inspiration. Okay, great. Are you an early bird or a night owl?
1: Neither.
0: Do you just love to sleep or you don't sleep?
1: I know I love to sleep. Right now I'm a night
0: owl. Okay. um, Yeah. Love it. But so you're getting your eight hours every night. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Wonderful. Sadly. Oh my gosh. If my husband were on this call, he'd say approved. Um, What's your favorite word? Oh, wow. Um, Chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum. See, we didn't give her these in advance, right? So so this is fun. Yeah. Chrysanthemum. I love it. Uh, name your biggest female inspiration right now. First woman that pops into your mind. I mean, I know you get the brain pickings right now, you said. But
1: I'm going to say Michelle Obama. I know that doesn't sound
0: very original. Oprah, is who I say Oprah and Michelle. I say that both. Agreed. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Just you need inspiration? Go to Michelle Obama. Anything, right? Um, favorite book uh, or podcast, business book or podcast?
1: Oh, God, I read so many business books. I don't I really don't have a favorite. I think
0: First one like, that pops into your mind.
1: I think The Obstacle is the Way has been a really interesting book for me.
0: OK, I've heard that's a good one. OK, great. What are you doing for self-care right now, besides sleeping? What am I not doing
1: for self-care right now? <laughs> oh, nice, think, good, um, good. I think like most people, I, I have had a little too much um, uh, uh, alcohol but i have to balance it with a lot of yoga. So Good. no, i've been great. doing i've been doing a lot of yoga and also i took a class in tm in transcendental mm. meditation yeah. in january and yeah. it has gotten me through. I mean, i do 20 minutes every morning and every night and it has gotten me through this. It's wow, been great. I'm
0: so impressed. Well done, Felicia. Okay, hottest topic during the time of corona is toilet paper? Do you pull over or under? Over. Who pulls over? Yeah, who? i like I like that Danny made the same face. Danny, you know, yes, was like over, only over. Um, 2020 or 2021? That's the last question. 2020. OK. Ask yeah. you again in a week, or, uh, or no, you Ask 2020 and you sticking week, with it.
1: It's been so disruptive and so game-changing. I think it's going to impact us for the rest of our lives. And I think 2020 is just the first baby step to the rest of our lives.
0: Yeah, it's been a lot a lot of pain but uh of course I, like with all pain there's gain there's silver linings and we just have to to find learning. them. Yeah, a lot of learning. Love uh love conquer fear. Yeah, I love that one. Felicia, I love you. Go ahead tell, I tell me. Too. I was just going to say yeah. one
1: thing it's sci- for for all of us who still believe in science and I hope there's still a lot of us out there. <laughs> it's scientifically proven that love and connection creates um oxytocin and literally overcomes fear it's a fact mm. people it's not just mm. from the bible
0: <laughs> i saw some crazy experiment where in two cups of water someone wrote the word love and put the paper in and then like hate in the other one and something happened like to the loved one versus the hate one so there's something it. in there that you're saying and right scientifically proven so interesting
1: all Thank right. Well, on that
0: note, we're sending out lots of love to everyone who tuned in now and who's going to be watching this video in the, in the weeks and months ahead and um, wishing you and all your loved ones continued safety and, and love and good luck in, in forging through this, uh, this time that we have ahead.
1: Thank have a good you. afternoon. Uh, Bye.